So if you'll turn your Bibles back to 1 Peter, we're going to continue looking at the verses that I left off with a couple weeks ago in verses 1 through 4. Let me read those for you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he starts out in verse 1 with therefore. And when you see therefore, as I've told you many times, that means this is just following uh, uh, based on something that's been said before. Therefore. And what's been said before is persecution and how to deal with persecution. I exhort the elders. The elders are the leaders, they're overseers, the pastors. That's who he's talking about. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, Peter's talking about himself. He's talking about uh, his credibility and being able to talk to them about the things he's going to say. And he's talking here to the leaders. Understand that. He's talking to the leaders right now. Also, partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And here's the main exhortation, the main command of this whole, all these four verses. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising, and this is how you do it, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And in times of persecution, as I pointed out the last time, and I'll just say some more about that this morning, faithful leadership is needed. And that's why Peter addresses the leaders. Leadership is important. Faithful, godly leadership is important in the midst of times of trouble. And it's important for me as a leader and the other elders in this church to pay attention to what Peter is saying here. It's important to you who are being shepherded by the leaders of this church that you pay attention to what Peter is saying here so you can hold us accountable to these things. The government of Rome is coming down on Christians and they are fleeing. We may face those same types of persecution in the future from our government. Trying to keep us from doing things and saying things. These people were living in exile. They were scattered. You, we saw that in the first chapter. Look at verse three, chapter 3, verse 14. But even... If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, I'm just showing you the context of chapter 5. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Go back over to chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. If Christ suffered, you and I will suffer too. Go back over to chapter 4, verse 1. Jump back that way. He says in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Go down to verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. 
Go down to verse, look at verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Verse 19, go down to verse 19. Therefore also, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And that brings us to this section here in chapter 5. And you know what this is? This is a blueprint. This is a blueprint for church leadership. That's what chapter 5 is. And it's something that I guess I've spent three weeks on now, but it's something I really want uh, for me as an elder, for the other elders in our church, and for future elders, a blueprint um, on what God wants elders to do and to look like. When a church is going through difficult times, it has to have leaders who will shepherd them through it. I heard, I think it was Oswald Sanders that said this. I'm not sure. I read his book on spiritual leadership a couple of times. I think this is where this is from. I'm not sure. But he says this, um, that you can never take a congregation higher than the leaders. I, I really get rebuked with this statement. You can never take a congregation higher than the leaders. The spiritual depth of the leaders will be the spiritual depth of the congregation. Wow. Leaders can't take people where they have not gone themselves. That's just a huge rebuke. Puts the fear of God in me. I tell you that when I read something like that. It's true. I believe it's true. God says this about leaders. Like people, like priests. That's what the people of Israel are becoming, just like their leaders. In fact, you know what people do sometimes when the leaders are just really not very godly? The people will use the leaders as justification for how they live their lives. You follow what I'm saying? It's true. It's really true. Jesus called them in the New Testament the blind leading the blind. This is just really sobering to me as a leader. I sometimes fall on my face before God just when I realize I can't even live up to everything I preach and the struggle I have with that at times, you know. It's just uh, the truths are there. It's just that I fall short of them in so many ways. And yet I'm reminded of things like this, that the church needs pastoral care. And Peter's writing this to exhort the leaders of their responsibility. And he would put under shepherds and people like me in roles like this. And I tell you what, I need your prayers. I need your prayers to keep digging deeper so I can take you deeper. Um, That I keep going higher so you can go higher. And if I can't do it, then somebody else will. But somebody has to. Leaders have to do this. Leaders have to do this. They can't be lazy. They can't be, they've got to be diligent. They've got to stay ahead of the, so they can lead. 
1 Peter 5 1 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partakers also the glory that is to be revealed. I've said something about these verses, that verse already, but you see the word elders? I just want you to notice it's in the plural. It's in the plural, and that is important. It's, it's very important. A church is to be led by a plurality of godly men. And I have said that, I realize this is repeating something I said earlier, but I just, want to, I just want to say something. When we were making the transition and studying this issue of going from a pastor-deacon board uh, format, Strzok and others pointed out some things that really were very helpful and why a plurality of elders is important. One, it keeps the church from going off into error. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Do you see what's being said there? When a prophet wants to say something in, Corinthian, in Corinth, in the Corinthian church, let him say it to the other prophets first before he tells it to the congregation. Let it go through that filter of other elders to be sure it's on track. You're not saying something that's an error. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let the others pass judgment. Another reason for a plurality of elders, more than just one person, is because it keeps everything from being a one-man show. One person becoming dominant. And sometimes a person becomes dominant. The The temptation is to have no accountability. That's dangerous. For the individual, that's dangerous for the church. A third reason that these writers give for this is it provides continuity. For example, when you're in a church and you only have one one dominant personality leading the church, and as you've seen this happen in maybe churches you've been in, that when that personality leaves the church, everybody is sort of left with a vacuum Uh, They don't know what to do next. Rather, when you have a plurality of elders, you don't skip a beat. The the elders can come right. The next elder, there's always elders to come in and lead and shepherd. I think that's an important reason, very much so. It It allows you to avoid that several months of floundering until you find the next dominant personality or whatever you're looking for. And fourth, it just provides different gifts among the elders. elders some elders preach. Some elders have gifts of administration, mercy, evangelism, some of those things. But it's a very serious task. And in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. James 3.1, let not many of you become teachers, because it's very serious, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Peter calls himself a fellow elder. Peter is uh, the right person to be given this exhortation, as I pointed out a couple of weeks ago to you. He's saying, I'm one of you. I understand what it is like. I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to a, a conference or a meeting and listened to somebody get up there and talk who's never been a pastor telling pastors how they should pastor. They have no idea. They just travel from church to church, giving the same sermons over and over again, the same messages over and over again. 
but they never get into the life of the church. They never get in amongst the sheep. They never get into the, the, the struggles and the difficulties of being with the sheep. So I'd much rather have someone who has the credibility of having um, been there, and that's what Peter has as he's speaking to these elders. He goes on to say that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ, and you, I point all that out to you, but that was at the Mount of Transfiguration. I was there, Peter says. You can read about that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and following. Peter says, I was there. I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw that future glory that we would one day all see on the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration, when Christ peeled back his glory, and I saw that glory that we will all experience one day. So Peter has credibility to give this instruction to these elders. He is not an ivory tower teacher. He's in the midst of them. He's suffered, he's struggled, he's been through the challenges of shepherding. The main command is found in verse two, as I pointed out to you earlier, shepherd the flock of God among you. That is the main command of these four verses. Shepherd the, God, the, the, the flock of God among you. I went through a whole thing two weeks ago. I'm not going to go back through that. But the metaphor of shepherd and sheep is used. It's a, it's a great metaphor. Jesus is called the chief shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. My sheep hear my voice. You see this over and over, this metaphor used over and over throughout the Bible. The main instruction and the main exhortation to these elders is to shepherd the flock of God among you. That means you guide them, you warn them, but primarily it means you teach them. You teach the sheep. You equip the sheep with the word of God. That is primarily what a shepherd does. There's a lot of temptation for shepherds to do a lot of other things, a lot of pulls on him, get involved in politics somehow, get involved in some other social cause. Those temptations are always there, people always trying to pull on a pastor to do those things, to to give their attention to things that will keep them away from the main thing, which is the teaching and the proclamation of God's word. You feed the sheep. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 where the instructions are given as to the qualifications of an elder? When you look at the qualifications of an elder and then you look at the qualifications of a deacon, they are very much the same with one exception, and that is teaching. Everything's the same when it comes to family and character. But when the one skill that an elder is to have, that a deacon is not required to have, is teaching. And the reason for that is because he's to shepherd the flock by teaching. You do not want to be folks in a church where, where there is a pastor that does not teach you God's word. You, that you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You need to be taught God's word. A shepherd knows what the sheep need. They need God's word. It's the oversight that's required because all the way back to Peter with, in John chapter 21 when he was told by Jesus after he had betrayed Christ and denied Christ and Christ says, do you love me three times? 
Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time, Christ, two, ta- two of those three times, he says, feed my sheep. If you love me, then feed my sheep. You help, a, you help the sheep find green pastures. You help the sheep find still waters. And so they feed on divine truth. Look in Jeremiah 23. Just turn there for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. This is, uh, I've been reading through Jeremiah. I read through the Bible in a year, and this is where I'm at right now is in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, not this particular chapter, but in Jeremiah. But he repeats this same theme in different places. But in Jeremiah chapter 23, he says this, Woe to the shepherds, Jeremiah 23.1, Woe to the shepherds. Woe means cursed. Cursed are the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Verse 2, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock, you've driven them away, they have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. That I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture. See, that's what a shepherd does, brings them back to their pasture. God is the true shepherd, the chief shepherd. They'll be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Hey, listen, if you guys won't do it, I'll find somebody that will. That's what he's saying to the shepherds of Israel. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel, turn there. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2 says this. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. I want you to speak against them. I want you to give them some words from me. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. See that? Feeding themselves. Just about all you're about is feeding yourself. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They become food for every beast of the field. they're, They're exposed, they're in danger. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey. And I think this is so true. that So many Christians are pray, pray for false teaching. Pray for... False teachers who spread evil doctrines, doctrines of devils, because they've been been taught anything from Scripture. They're easily sucked in. My flock has become food for all the beasts of the field for a lack of a shepherd. And my beasts, excuse me, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather shepherds feed themselves and do not feed my flock. 
The responsibility of the shepherd is to, she, of the, to the sheep is to feed them. To feed them. John MacArthur wrote something really interesting. He was giving a sermon to pastors on this passage, actually. Listen to this. This is interesting. When our family, he's writing this after he made a trip to Australia. He says, when our family was at the sheep farm in Australia, the shepherd took us out and showed us many, many fascinating things about caring for sheep. But he introduced us to one particular sheep who was known as the Judas sheep. The Judas sheep. All sheep that are led to slaughter are basically led to slaughter by a Judas sheep. There are millions of sheep, of course, being slaughtered all the time every year, and they are typically led to slaughter by a sheep called a Judas sheep. It is a specially selected castrated male sheep who leads the unwitting sheep to the killing floor. It goes out first, it starts down the chute, and all the sheep follow, and follow, and follow. Sheep do, not ha- sheep do have a capacity to follow, and they follow to their own death. When they reach the killing place, a trap door opens, and the Judas sheep is led away, and the rest go in to be slaughtered. He's led away, and the rest go in to the killing floor and are slaughtered. The Judas sheep goes around to the next group. Unaware of what is happening, of course, the sheep blindly follow to their death. They need someone then to follow who leads them to life, not to death, because they tend to follow anybody. They need to be protected. They need to be sheltered in their safe place, MacArthur says. They need to be provided for. They have to be given pasture and and led to water. They spend virtually their whole life eating and drinking, and they are thirsty and hungry and often and cannot sustain themselves unless they have shepherds. End of quote. There's a lot of Judas sheep out there. A lot of Judas sheep out there. They're all around. The church is experiencing deception. The church is experiencing persecution. uh, And it just demands shepherds who can shepherd faithfully. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I referred to parts of this earlier, but I just want to highlight a couple things more in this passage in Acts chapter 20, because last words are important words, and these are Paul's last words to the elders at Miletus or, or, or Ephesus. He calls the elders together who were at Miletus. He calls all the elders together. He'd spent three years with these elders teaching them, and now Paul is preparing to move on to another ministry in Acts chapter 20. And notice what he says beginning in verse 25. And now behold, I know that all of you, all of you shepherds, all of you elders, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Remember, overseers and shepherd and pastor are all the same word. All the same word. To shepherd, there's the word shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. There's your Judas sheep. There's your Judas sheep right there. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, that's the word of God. Why that? Because it's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's what it does. It equips you, it feeds you, it nurses you, nurses you, it strengthens you. If you want a shepherd, he says, teach the word, preach the word. I know false teachers are going to come. They're going to try to disrupt. I know that's going to happen with us. Mormons come to your door. Jehovah Witnesses come to your doors on radio and TV and internet all the time. Ephesians 4 says Christ gave the church gifts. Some of those gifts were to, apostle, to pastors and teachers to equip you for the work of ministry so that you would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. In verse 2, he says the word among you, the shepherds are not over the whole, the shepherds of a church are not over the whole flock of God, but the assigned, allotted, those who are allotted to your charge. You see that in verse 3, those who are allotted to your charge. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 5. Sorry about that. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. And I just point, want to point out that I can't shepherd all the flock of God. I can only shepherd the, those allotted to our charge. See that in verse 3? Those that God has given to us. God's taken his whole flock and he's broken it down and there's a parts here, parts somewhere else and there's shepherds in those places. You know, I don't get concerned about the empty seats. I get concerned about the seats that are filled. That's the ones we're concerned about. I get concerned about those that God has brought through our doors. Somebody came up to D.W. Moody one time and said, I am concerned my congregation is too small. Moody said, well, maybe they are as large as you'd like to give an account for in the day of judgment. That was a good statement. Yes, yes, amen to that. Please, Lord, no more than I can be faithful for. That's what we all as elders say and think. He gives two wrong reasons here and, uh, and for shepherding. Uh, actually, yeah, two wrong reasons. Um, compulsion, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Don't do it because nobody else will do it. <laughs> Don't do it because of pride. Don't do it because your mother wants you to. Don't do it because everybody in the Bible college that you attended was going that direction. Don't do it for those peer pressure reasons. We are told to preach the gospel. We're under compulsion to preach the gospel. Yes, that's the will of God. But this is a different kind of compulsion. This is the kind of compulsion that is the wrong motivation. It makes you do something that you just think you should do because it's a spiritual thing to do or, or whatever. Don't feel that kind of pressure. The word is aspire in 1 Timothy 3. It's an internal desire that God puts in your heart, that you can't do anything else but that. I must do that. 
It's a fine work, the one who aspires to be an overseer, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So it starts with an internal desire, not some compulsion that's, I don't want to really do it, but I'm going to do it, type an attitude. It's, it's voluntary. I want to do this. I desire to do this. There's nothing else I'd rather do than this. Sordid gain. You see that uh, also in that verse. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And many people get in the ministry because they want to take advantage of sheep. They want to fleece the sheep. They get in ministry because they somehow want to use the sheep to advance some personal gain they're perceiving it will give them. Maybe it'll give me more influence. Maybe it'll give me more respect. Maybe it will give me um, more credibility and, or whatever. Maybe it'll give me more authority and Sometimes people just do it to manipulate people. I want to control. I like control. I want to be able to control people. People do it for financial gain. Like I said earlier, they do it for money. They do it because they feel like they can somehow um, get wealth. Some people do that. That's, 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 according to Second Peter chapter 2, that's, that's what a false teacher does. A hireling does it for that reason. A hireling does it for profit, personal gain. The hireling, Jesus in John 10 talks about the true shepherd and the hireling. The hireling, is that's the hired person. That's the person that just does it and they're no longer there when the going gets tough. When they've gotten everything out of you they can get from you, they want to just leave. That's not the shepherd who just hangs in there. Even if you don't pay him sometimes, he still hangs in there. Because he loves the sheep. Jude 12 says it this way, these men who are hidden reefs, just talking about these false teachers in the last days, he says, these men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, they care for themselves. A shepherd is not in it to care for themselves. Can't be his motivation try to manipulate the church to some kind of material advantage. I want to look good. I want the praise of men. I want all those things. That's, that's the motivation of sordid gain. The church belongs to God. It's the flock of God. It's not yours. It's not mine. It belongs to God. And so the shepherd is to lay down his life for the church. And so God forbid that any elder would say, I'm going to take advantage of the church in any way. I can't say I knew all these things when I first became a pastor or when I first went to the ministry. I told you that a while back. I, this has been, as time has gone on and I've studied these things, it's been, wow, this is a really serious thing I got myself into. As time has gone on, there's more to this than just my great ideas for programs and those kinds of things. There's really a commitment, a heart commitment in us dying to self. This is the flock of God and that it isn't about me and it's not about 
my reputation. It's not about any of those things. It's about God and God's reputation. In verse 3, he says, don't lord it over those. This is another point he makes. Allotted to your charge, but, pr- but proving to be examples. Proper leadership is not lording it over people. It's leading people. Not a dictator. Uh, the word actually means to come down on people by intimidation or to be domineering or dominating or harsh and hard. And uh, that kind of person doesn't really want to hear your opinion about anything. They've got their own and they don't want you to bother them with your opinion. They don't want to hear from you. They just want to feed their own covetous ego. And, I, and I've said this to you many times before, the only authority a pastor has is the word of God. If I speak outside this book, it's just my opinion. And my opinion is as good as anybody else's opinion. But th- when I speak, thus saith the Lord, that's different. When I take you to this book and show you this is what God says, that's authority. That's the only authority I have. It's his authority. I really like what we studied a few weeks ago in Mark. Let me read you Matthew's account of this. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 26 says this, but Jesus called the disciples to himself. These are the guys that were always arguing about who was gonna be the greatest in his kingdom. Remember those guys? That was his disciples. He tells them, he says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. This is Matthew 20, 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. He says, it is not to be this way among you. This is not how it is to be in my church. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And that's the... Mark 10, 45, for Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Turn to John, uh, 3 John, 3 John, toward the end of the New Testament, 3 John. You meet an interesting individual in 3 John. 3 John, verse 9 John writing to these, this one Gaius, verse one here says, I wrote something to the church, verse nine says, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. This guy Diotrephes, whoever he was, did not like the apostle John. For some reason, did not like the Apostle John. Didn't like what he said. Maybe John was a threat to him. Maybe he was a leader in the church and John's authority as an apostle threatened Diotrephes. He wants to be first among them, meaning he wants to have first place, meaning he wants to be the leader among them, meaning he wants to um, be recognized, whatever. He says in verse 10, for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly accusing us with wicked words. Not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. He forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. That's what happens when someone in the church 
leader in the church seeks to lord it over others. Look at verse 12. I like verse 12. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Look at the contrast between Demetrius and Diotrephes. And he says this, he says, this is how you lead to just conclude this morning. You do it by being examples to the flock. Back in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, by being examples to the flock. We shepherd by example. This is, this is probably the most important quality of leadership. It does matter. It may not matter in Washington. It may not matter in any place else, but it does matter in the church. Your example. A pastor should be able to say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. As I am seeking to imitate Christ, you imitate those things about Christ that you see in me. The pastor needs to be among the sheep so that they can see his life. They can see the kind of life that he lives. That he, not up in some ivory tower and never among the sheep. But that is the truest quality of leadership. That's the power of leadership. Whenever I get into a jam or anything like that, it's like when people, make, when people start throwing things at you, it's, it's, what's going to stand against all of that is your example. Your example. And then finally he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You may not hear the gratitude from the sheep. They'd always say thank you. They don't, that's fine. You don't do it for that reason anyway. But one day you do live for this, that well done, good and faithful servant. You get a lot of awards in life. You know, you can get trophies for playing t-ball, you get trophies for sports, you get trophies for everything, you know, awards for all kinds of things, but those things are soon forgotten. But the reward that will go on and on and on is the, ch- the, 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 the reward from the chief shepherd, the unfading crown of glory. When they would give an award in Peter's day and time, an award for something, it would be a, a plant weaved together, something like a plant. Well, guess how long that would last? This is an award that we're talking about here, a reward we're talking about here that will never fade. The unfading crown of glory. And so that's why we do what we do. And we should be doing what we do to please God and to bring glory to Him. So that's the blueprint. That's the blueprint that Peter lays out for us on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That is what I and the other elders want our shepherding to be all about. We want future elders to know this and to desire this as we do. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for this truth that we have once again studied that Peter inserts here so necessarily because of what the church was going through, the persecution they were experiencing, and the need for faithful leadership. And I pray, God, that as leaders in this church, we will be faithful, that we will love the sheep and feed the sheep and be diligent, not lazy, that we will be men who desire to put you on display in how we live our lives. We know we're not perfect. We know we fail. We know we mess up a lot. We know we sin. We know we have to run seeking forgiveness all the time. We know that we have feet of clay. We know that we 
uh, fall short of the very things we stand up in here and teach from time to time. But God, we pray that you will give us grace. As Peter over and over said, and Peter was a man who failed, and Peter was a man who continually talked about growing in grace. And may we all do that. May we all grow in grace. And I just thank you, God, for the privilege to be part of this body and to shepherd this church. And pray, God, that you would give me and the other elders the strength to do it well and to your glory. It's not men we are seeking to please, but it's you. In Jesus' name, amen.